Harry and Meghan have finally dropped the first episodes of their bomb show. Public service, it's a bright spotlight, and most people don't understand it. But I don't think there's any sort of neutral reception over here about it. It's them a chance to tell their story. A nauseating self-serving snooze fest, said another pundit. Well, that's me, actually. It is the family feud to end all family feuds. In their case against the royal family, and watched by millions across the planet, Harry and Meghan have taken the stand for an uninterrupted six hours in the kangaroo court. This is Netflix. In response, the royal family have been deafening in their utter silence. But now the dust has settled, the analysis of whether the pair were wronged, hounded out, or treated badly has left one big question. What was the point of it all? I curtsied as though I was like... One answer is obvious. Money. Netflix paid an estimated $100 million for the series. Life in Los Angeles is expensive, and the pair have bills to pay. The second answer is they want an apology and a summit with the royal family. A Sunday Times article shortly after the sixth episode suggested the pair want the royals to apologise about the way they were treated, and preferably before the coronation next year. But is there a third reason, with bigger, longer-lasting and deeper ramifications? Are Harry and Meghan actually trying to destroy the royal family as we know it? The reaction to the series and the view of Britain and its royal family has been very different on either side of the Atlantic. While many people in Britain feel aggrieved at the claims by the couple, many Americans are starting to ask questions about our British institutions. The New York Times, arguably the most influential newspaper in the world, wrote an op-ed piece this week stating, the monarchy doesn't need to be changed, it needs to be dismantled. This is serious stuff. With over a thousand years of history and tradition, to many, the British royal family is seen as a unifier of British culture. It gives a sense of stability and continuity, and acts as a focus for national identity. Meghan's arrival shook that notion to its core. The first American, the first celebrity, the first non-white person, and most importantly, the first person not ready for the intensity of public interest in every facet of their lives. From an honour to public duty, a stiff upper lip on the infamous we pay, you pose contract with the British media, the Sussexes wanted a new relationship with the British public. A life outside the royal family where they would perform their duties for the Queen, but using their own money to pay for it, and therefore without the scrutiny from the press. But an unprecedented meeting of the royal family, dubbed the Sandringham Summit, resulted in what was to become known as Megxit. Harry and Meghan were to step down as working members of the royal family, no longer represent the Queen and cease to be funded by the British taxpayer. Now holed up in their California mansion, the Sussexes began to hit back against the royal family and were going to blow the relationship wide open with their royal soap opera, which ultimately resulted in 47% of the British public taking an even more negative view of the couple. But that was just the beginning. 
Fast forward two years, and Harry and Meghan have launched a number of explosive accusations against the royal family, King Charles, Prince William, the institution of monarchy, and just about everything connected to the idea of royalty. And yet, they still trade on their royal titles as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Never before has there been such an acrimonious departure from the royal family, let alone to criticise and alienate it from the world. So what are the Sussexes really doing? California mansions, private jets, round-the-clock security and £57,000 a night hotel rooms do not come cheap. And Harry and Meghan need to sustain a certain lifestyle. That they have to cash in their assets. Their primary asset at the moment is the dramatic way in which they rejected really a seat at the biggest table in Great Britain, the House of Windsor. I mean, Harry himself in the documentary says, I kind of miss sitting around the table with my weird family in the palace. And it doesn't surprise me they're keeping beating the drum. They're beating the drum because they need the money. Um, and they're beating the drum because they feel unfairly treated. And Harry, arguably on one level, such a winner, a prince, no less. There was a naivety about the way in which, just like we were naive about the change that Harry and Meghan could instigate within the royal household and that they would be able to do that from within. I think there's also been a naivety on the part of Harry and Meghan to expect the House of Windsor to change or to change anytime soon or fast or indeed to apologise, which is clearly what they wanted initially and apparently still do. You just need to look at history, including recent history, to know that what the House of Windsor and the British royal family are really good at is protecting tradition, representing tradition. They are less good at adapting to change. That's Tessa says, transforming over a thousand years of history and tradition into a royal version of the Kardashians might fill the coffers, but does airing private family feuds on Netflix achieve anything other than deeper resentment? There's a lot of chat about Harry and Meghan again today because they've released a new trailer. Oh, hold on. We're not doing the chat yet, guys. Take a breath. Netflix and Spotify were only two of the doubtless hundreds of companies offering enormous amounts of money to have Harry and Meghan on their books. The money would have come in whatever they did, so why a fly-on-the-wall documentary and a tell-all book from a couple who are so desperate for privacy? There's a lot of incredibly private material in there that, given this is a couple who are very, very keen on their privacy, I think people will be surprised to see, but, you know, we are hearing from them first-person about their own experiences. Having spent years wrestling for narrative control with the British press, another reason for the Netflix show was the Sussexes wanted to tell their truth, in their own words and with almost total control. When the stakes were this high, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? Royal commentator Afia Hagen explains. For so long, we heard only one side, and actually that was the press's side, that was the tabloid side of, you know, their marriage or of Megxit, as it was coined, or the reasons why they decided to step back as working royals. Don't complain, don't explain, put up and shut up attitude. They were never really allowed the opportunity to be able to say what had happened to them. Now, when it comes to does that try and bring down the royal family? No, because why would they do that? It's not beneficial to them. You have to remember that King Charles III, as well as being the king, 
is also Harry's father. That's Meghan's father-in-law. He walked her down the aisle. She speaks very warmly of him in that documentary. The point is not to bring down the royal family. However, if what they say and what they talk about brings a sense of guilt or shame to the royal family, that's not really their fault. But if the royal family is going to modernize and stay relevant, wasn't this a prime opportunity to do that? Harry and Meghan wanted the royal family to change. From Harry's position as the spare, to the long-standing hierarchy in the family and the state traditions, the Sussexes wanted to lead a modern, vibrant royal family. The pair have certainly found their voice in the US, but as the Sun's royal editor Matt Wilkinson highlights, they will never have the centre stage in the British royal family they so crave. One of the interesting things that Harry spoke about recently was he, he said that he pointed out there was a hierarchy in the family, which he didn't seem to like the idea of the hierarchy in the family and his position in the family. We know that he's bringing out the book called The Spare, which is obviously indicating the fact that he always played second fiddle to his brother. So what it appears through all these interviews that they're doing and all the, the media operations, you talk about Spotify, Netflix uh, and, and the book, is positioning themselves as almost like a, a separate court from the royal family. So we have Harry and Meghan doing their own royal charitable, charitable events, doing their own royal rotor events, doing their own engagements. And it, it's a case of they weren't happy with where they were positioned in the hierarchy of the royal family when they were here in the UK. They would have liked to have maybe been centre stage. I think they had some really good tours and they came back from feeling very popular and they thought maybe they'd have a, a, a higher seat at the table. They've got a very strong voice um, and it's echoing all around the world. The Netflix special adds little to the accusations first launched in the Oprah interview, but highlights Meghan's feelings of being an outsider trapped inside a family bound by traditions and hierarchies. So what really was their point? Money? Fame? Revenge? Change? One thing we can ascertain from the documentary is that the sympathies towards the couple remain unchanged. In fact, in a poll from the British public in the immediate aftermath of the series, just 4% felt more positively about them, whereas 14% felt more negatively about them. The series has been the most watched subscription TV show of the year, and although curiosity seems to be the motivating factor for the number of viewers, it is unclear whether Harry and Meghan have made a single fan from their self-absorbed, one-sided view of what ultimately is a huge privilege. Strap yourself in for the next instalment of The Harry and Meghan Show. Harry's tell-all book.